Some of you have been stolen from. We're going to look this morning at the fact that all of us have actually been robbed. Um, Jesus said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He was talking about uh, the enemy of our soul. He was speaking about uh, the, the devil. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Every one of us have experienced thievery. Um, some of us have done some stealing. Uh, in fact, we're going to kind of encounter the, uh, the difficult truth this morning that actually all of us, uh, all of us have been guilty uh, of stealing. And Jesus wants to restore you from both. So come, Lord Jesus. Come and, and, and visit your children. Help us to think biblically. Help us to live biblically before you. We ask in the name of in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. The reality is that, the reality is that there are a lot of ways that that someone can steal from someone else. A dear friend who um, was describing recently a situation where, um, when she was when she was a little girl, uh, was home alone, very sick, when their house was burglarized. And uh, the mercy was that she was sound asleep in her bed, so sick that she didn't even wake up, even when her room was being ransacked. Um, the police said it was merciful that she didn't wake up. Um, but she said, um, more than the stuff that was stolen, what was stolen was peace. And, and this was something that she wrestled with for years. Um, there are many ways that things could be stolen. Um, we, we've been... Uh, we've been in the book of Deuteronomy. We've been looking specifically at uh, the Ten Commandments uh, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel and then uh, seeing how there's kind of threads of these ideas, reference points in the chapters that follow, Deuteronomy chapter 5, where we read the Ten Commandments, um, how Moses is, is amplifying and expanding on that which we're to see uh, from those sort of pretty simple words that we encounter in, in the Ten Commandments. And we come to commandment number eight, do not steal. And I mean, it would be pretty straightforward but then when we get into some of this commentary, we realize that, that Moses is expanding what is to be understood by this idea of, of, of theft. And then if we jump ahead and look at the words of Jesus, when he makes some comment on this same, this same portion of Scripture, we realize that, well, there's, there's something pretty substantial here that, that Moses was intending us to attend to, intending the children of Israel to attend to, that Jesus continues to, to expect us to attend to. And we're going to look at, at, at the, the fundamental statement that Moses makes, we're going to look at the commentary he makes, and we're going to look at, at some of the words of Jesus uh, that he makes in reference to this. So let's start that, with that journey. Join, Stand with me if you would. We're going to read, um, I'm going to read, you can follow along, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24. I'm in the New International Version. Um, uh, this kind of commentary thread or a significant part of the commentary on the, the Eighth Commandment actually begins back in chapter 23. Um, I'm just going to read 24 for us here this morning. Um, follow along if you would, please. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. 
If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, and after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man and her husband, her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then the first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. If a man is recently married, he must not be sent to war or, make, uh, or have any other duty laid on him for one year. He is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to his wife he is married. Uh, do not take a pair of millstones, nor even the upper one, as security for debt, because that would be taking a person's livelihood as security. If someone is caught kidnapping a fellow Israelite and treating or selling them as a slave, the kidnapper must die. You must purge the evil from among you. In cases of defiling skin diseases, be careful to do exactly as the Levitical priests instruct you. Do not follow carefully. You must follow carefully what I have commanded them. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam along the way after you came out of Egypt. <clears throat> when you make a loan of any kind to your neighbor, do not go into their house to get what is offered to you as a pledge. Stay outside and let the neighbor to whom you are making the loan bring the pledge out to you. If the neighbor is poor, do not go to sleep with their pledge in your possession. Return their cloak by sunset so that your neighbor may sleep in it. Then they will thank you, and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord your God. Do not take advantage of hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. Parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. Do not deprive the foreigner of, or the fatherless or justice of justice, or take the cloak of, uh, of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner and fatherless and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go to the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that is why I command you to do this. This is the word of the Lord. May he help us understand it this morning as we, uh, as we come before him uh, together. You may be seated. So here's, here's what's being covered by the Eighth Commandment. And I know it, it, it's not immediately obvious as we read through chapter 24. Um, but this expansion is helping explain the idea that do, we are not to steal, well, we're not to steal possessions. Now that's kind of the obvious one. We'll talk about that briefly. Um, but we're not to steal honor. Uh, we're not to steal dignity. Uh, we're not to steal justice. There's probably a couple of other adjectives we could put there, but that's all the time we'll have for this this morning. We're not to steal because people are more important than possessions. Um, I'm going to take some questions um, uh, later in the service. I'll try to answer them before we wrap things up today. You can text them to the number on the screen or iMessage me there, and I'll do my best to get to bringing some answers to you that are reasonable, kind of a short, quick answer. One way or the other, I will, uh, I will come to you with some kind of answer. Um, 
Ancient Israel thought about their land differently than you and I typically think about land. They thought about the land as the land the Lord their God was giving them. It was a trust, not something that they owned specifically. God was the owner. Yahweh was the owner of the land. And so Moses is talking to people who have been slaves with nothing, and now they're to become free human beings who have management responsibility, including the management of his land, his property. Suddenly they become people with stuff. And of course, stuff breaks into two categories, right? If you're following along, it says, you'll find this in your sermon notes. You can make some notes as we go there in your bulletin. Stuff breaks into two categories. There's your stuff, and then there's someone else's stuff. And as the children of Israel now become people with stuff, the question is, how do I manage my stuff, and how do I think about yours? How do we, how do we manage possessions? How do we manage wealth? Um, as now we step into, they stepped into this new reality. And the first principle is found even just in that statement, the Lord your God is giving you. And the, and, and the reality is that what we have is given to us by God. Uh, we are, are given these things to, pr- to provide for our needs, but it's coming from, him, from God, not whoever cuts your paycheck, um, And just in case you're really wanting to press me on that question and say, really? Come on, I worked hard for that paycheck. Surely that's mine and it's earned. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because um, you can just answer these questions. Did you have anything to do with being born into the time, place, and history into which you were born? No, you you did not. You had no control over that. Did you have anything to say about the talents and the abilities and the natural aptitudes that you have? No, you did not. Now, you have some responsibility to hone them. There's a 90% God piece here and a 10% you and me. We have some responsibility in stewarding that which he gives to us. Do you have anything to do with the ambition that stirs in your heart, with the, 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 that get up in the morning and I got to go and do this piece? No, you've got very, well, maybe you've got a little more control of that because part of the stewarding piece is, is, is nutrition. It's, it's eating well, it's, it's managing your time, it's getting enough sleep, it's, it's all of these things that are going to be, make it possible for you to live out your ambition and your energy and you're going to apply yourself and you're going to add skill to the natural talents and abilities God's already given you. So there, we have this piece of responsibility with what he's given us, but there's such a vast range of, of, of stuff that's just not in our control. That was his blessing. And of course, all the effort in the world without that blessing, without that gift, is going to render it useless. Which leads then to the second principle, and that's this. What we have is for us and for others. What you have is for you and it's for others. God has filtered whatever finances, whatever resources, whatever talent, he's filtered that through others. So, 
you follow the supply chain, right? You know, somebody earned a buck and then spent a buck and that bought something that maybe you're involved in the supply part of it or the sales part of it or maybe you're involved in the, the supply chain. It's the transportation part that got there or you're involved in the manufacturing part because that's where it ultimately came from, right? That buck flowed through a lot of hands and blessed a lot of people along the way and then it came to you, but it doesn't stop with you. It doesn't stop with me. We continue to be those who steward that which we have, and it's for us and it's for others. And ultimately, the question that we answer before God is, do you have design for this? Is there another place that this is to be placed? It's to be invested. It's to be, it's to be used to care for someone else. And so we end up being these people. It was true in ancient Israel. It's true today that we... We're being instructed by God to handle it carefully, to not, not hold it tightly, because we are, are those who are recognizing that, that God is the one who has given it, and I am just a conduit as it gets invested and, 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 and placed into the places of his design. I receive blessing from it, and I give blessing through it. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, he said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now there's a statement of, of reality, sad reality. Steve's, thieves break in and steal. That's the world in which we live. He's not saying don't put up fences. He's not saying you know put security gates. He's not saying anything like that. He's just saying, look, this is the reality. They break in, they steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where Thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it's on this point that we in our culture are at great risk of of being a nation of hoarders rather than a nation of generosity. I don't know if you saw the the news piece um, this past week. Um, I think it was on CBC that I saw this. But there's a, there's a new and elaborate set of storage facilities that are being constructed across our nation. Um, it is super impressive. So if you've got more stuff than you can kind of manage in your house, you just call somebody up. This is the most elaborate one. You call somebody up, they bring a tote, come and put it in there. They take it, they catalog it, they store it for you. When you want your stuff back, you call them, they bring it back to you. Isn't that convenient? What a great way to manage the stuff that, we've, that we can't find space in our house for. You know, it's such an epidemic that in the United States of America, um, there is nine square feet of storage space per capita. Every human being in the United States, nine square feet of storage space. In Canada, we're playing catch-up. We've got two square feet of storage space for, for every person in our nation. That's a ton of stuff. And we like our stuff, don't we? Because we, kind of, we, we keep just getting more. You know, we, we go looking for more because we don't have enough stuff. We're such a, I mean, we're a consumer-based society. The question that Moses would ask of us is how important is your stuff? Really, come on, let's, let's be, be real. How, how important is that stuff? Why are you hanging on to so much of it? Why are you accumulating so much? Do you really need all of that stuff? And I know that this should go without saying, people are more important than stuff. But, but if we believed that, why is it that every now and then I see it on social media or I've even heard it in person where someone says, you know what, if someone comes onto my property in the middle of the night and they're going to steal my stuff, I'm going to shoot him. Really? 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 Because, so they violated the Eighth Commandment. Let's make no mistake about that. That's not okay. 
but you're going to violate the sixth commandment, do not murder, in order to protect the stuff? Really? Is that what's, what's going to go on here? And, and, and do we forget that G, James, the brother of Jesus, James chapter 2, he said, look, if you break one of the commandments, you've broken all of the commandments. And, and let's not forget that the, all of the commandments flow from the one who in the first commandment says, have no other gods before me. Has all of a sudden our stuff become more important to us than God? Has our stuff become an idol? We're actually willing to, to, to risk another human life in order to protect our stuff. Moses would say, no, that's, that's not how this is supposed to be. Moses envisioned a utopian, a utopian environment in the nation of Israel, in the land that God was giving them. Now, it never happened. It, it never happened according to God's intent and design, but that was what he had in mind. There, there are two sides to this stuff thing, are there not? Because there's also that, I'll ask you this question, have, have you ever felt like someone else is valuing stuff more than you. And, and all of a sudden, we, we begin to realize that we live in a world where, where there's just a lot of broken thinking going on concerning the stuff. And this is where Moses goes in his commentary. He, he begins to talk about our, our possessions relative to how we interact with human beings. I didn't say that quite right. He's talking about valuing, the valuing of human life in relation to this eighth commandment, do not steal. Here's what I mean. So so we get to the first part of chapter 24, and I'm going to have to explain this because I know it's terribly offensive when we first read it without any orientation to this. Do not steal, and what he's saying is do not steal the honor of a woman. That's, that's really what's going on here. 21 verse 1, I, I read it earlier. You probably recoiled when you heard it. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of door, divorce, yada, yada, he can't, she marries again, he divorces her or, 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 or dies, the first man can't marry her back. We say, what is going on there? Like, on the surface, this reads terribly offensive to us, especially as modern thinkers. It seems like this woman's just being passed around like a piece of, of a property, especially we read that line, it says displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. And once we pick our jaw up off the floor, and before we slam the book closed and say, what the heck? Listen to what's going on here. Remember, these are newly freed slaves who now are coming into the land. And Moses says, don't defile the land by making this a place of slavery again. Don't you dare treat that woman in such a way that she would be dishonored. That's what's been going on here. Uh, Moses' intent here, and we see it elsewhere in the book of Deuteronomy, and when we understand the culture into which he was speaking, we begin to recognize that he is protecting the, the women here, guarding their honor, determined that they not re-enter the kind of slavery that, that they experienced back in Egypt. Now, Scholars are a little divided on exactly what's the backstory to what Moses is describing here in this verse, these verses. Either, and it could be this, uh, some, some think that, she, that Moses is thinking about her dowry. So in ancient Israel, there was a practice where when a woman was married to her husband, uh, that the family gave her a dowry. And that was a sum, could be a substantial sum, some resources of some description, that was to be sort of her wealth component that she would take into the marriage. And this was to be, this was to be help her set up the household. Now, if, if the marriage failed and she was divorced, and, and 
this is not intended, it wasn't God's design, but when, if this happens, Jesus said, because of the hardness of your hearts and this is what takes place, well, the dowry goes with her. And so some scholars think that what's taking place here is the first husband's thinking, right, I'm going to get my hands on that money again. Um, and, uh, and it's going to come back. Other scholars, and I think this is probably more likely what's taking place, but we don't know for sure. They say, no, I think really what's going on here is Moses is most concerned about her integrity, about her honor, because she was dishonored. She was publicly disgraced when her husband said, there's something displeasing about this woman. There's something, and, and the, the defiling was, was about not allowing her to go back into a place where she would be abused again, emotionally, physically, Abused again, not okay, not all right. Don't, don't disgrace the land with an evil like this. And, and so this dishonoring, don't allow her honor to be stolen from her, becomes the thread of connection that comes back to this do not steal piece. We begin to recognize thou shalt not steal has a broader application than what we might first think when we only read Deuteronomy chapter 5. Don't steal honor from a woman. Maybe, maybe this is your story. What were you have been one who has been stolen from? Maybe the Me Too campaign is a very personal, very personal thing for you. Because others have stolen honor from you. Moses is going to have more to say to you this morning. Just keep your heart open and ready to listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you through the language of Moses here. Because Moses goes on and he says, Do not steal dignity from the poor. Moses weaves several kind of case studies together here in this chapter. Verse 6, he says, uh, do not deprive someone of their survival uh, or their livelihood. That's what's going on here. Um, th this millstone piece that we read about in, in verse 6, the uh, millstone was used for the grinding of grain. He said, don't even take the upper millstone from the grain uh, because it's going to impact their ability to, to grind grain into flour for the making of bread. That's not okay. That's not an acceptable kind of pledge to take um, to say hey that's like security right security against the loan um, uh, he also talks about what we I think we can kind of parallel to payday style loans you know what that is you know someone's like ah, man I don't have enough money to get to the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of the month so sort of leveraging against the expectation of the paycheck that my employers but but you pay terrible interest for it and please do everything you can to avoid those kinds of situations. And that was the kind of situation that was, was being envisioned here where the person's kind of borrowing money against a future income that they would then restore. And, and, and Moses is putting limits on this kind of loan sharking, um, insisting that the loaner treat the loanee with dignity. Um, that's what's up with that verse 10 bit, uh, where he, he says, do not go into their house to get what's offered to you as a pledge. Stay outside. Let's respect their space. Issue respect to this person. Often what was going on in this kind of situation in that culture was that, look, there'd been a crop failure. There was something that was going on that wasn't, wasn't working well. So they were already at an impoverished place. They're already at a disadvantaged place. So do not put them in a place where they are further being disadvantaged and at greater risk for, for poverty. This principle of, of grace and benevolence toward the poor goes even further than just this idea of loaning or, or collecting a pledge um, in, in security against a loan. Verse 19, Moses reminds them of how the kind of harvesting practices. He uses three examples, how they manage the harvesting of wheat, how they manage the harvesting of their olive groves, and how they manage the harvesting of their grape 
vines. Um, and, and he's saying, look, for, for bread, for olive oil, for wine, these are our basic necessities in that culture for survival. Um, do not glean it all again, getting every last bit. Leave, leave the edges of the field. Don't shake the olive trees again. Don't repick the vines of your groves uh, so that there's something there. Uh, for, uh, and he's going to begin using the words for the foreigner, for the widow, and for the orphan. Um, and maybe this is your story. Uh, abused, abused by creditors. Um, uh, unable to seemingly get ahead. And, and, and in that, there's been a thieving, there's been a stealing of a sense of value, a sense of purpose, uh, a sense of hope. And, and Moses is concerned about this. Moses envisioned this utopian society where, where no one would find themselves at a place where personal financial catastrophe was going to threaten their fundamental well-being. They were to be a people in the land who had one another's backs, who were watching and caring for one another in this, this land that the Lord had given to them. And there was to be a free exchange and caring for one another in that. And in, in, coming out of the heart of those who have recognizing I have because God has given to me. I have because he is my provider, and he is going to enable me to continue to give. He's going to continue to provide, and I become the means by which he is going to provide for someone else. It's a very different view of property and possessions. This is not the posture of a hoarder. This is the posture of the generous. But Moses isn't done with this explanation of the commandment, do not steal. He says, do not steal possessions. Uh, do not steal another person's honor. And specifically, he's speaking about women in that culture. Do not steal a person's dignity. And especially, he's talking about the poor. And do not steal justice from the oppressed. We read in verse 17, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. And then three more times, he's going to reference the foreigner the fatherless, and the widow. And he's bringing together these twin concepts of justice and generosity. Uh, these are representative categories, foreigner, fatherless, and widow. They're representative categories of whoever's in need, right? So we think, okay, who are the foreigners? Who are those that fall into this category among us? And bam, in our face is the fact that there are 60, estimated 65 million refugees, 65 million displaced peoples in our world. And we say, oh my goodness, the foreigner is in need. Clearly, the livelihood is, is, has been robbed away from circumstances, in most cases, far beyond, far beyond their control. The foreigner, the, the widow, those, those who have lost love and are at risk. The, the fatherless, those who have no mentor, no shepherd, in their life, and now are at risk. We, we talk about this. We talk about children at risk. We talk about seniors at risk in our culture. These are important conversations uh, that we need to have. And, and as those uh, people of faith, those who are in this new land of God's provision, not talking about Canada, I'm talking about, I'm talking about the church, 
Um, there's a need, there's an urgency that we attend, we care for one another. We, we issue love and concern for those who, who don't have a mentor in their life, don't have someone to shepherd them and, and become at risk because of this, who, who have lost love and are in, in a place of, of pain and, and needing, needing someone to meet them, care for them, love them, pray for them at the point of risk. Moses restates the motivation for this several times. He says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that is why I command you to do this. Remember where you've come from. Remember what God has saved you from. Remember and, and never forget. Remember that he is your provider. Remember that he has demonstrated his generosity to you. And remember that people are far more important than possessions. And so we care. And yet throughout history, we've got a bad track record on this, don't we? As a human, human race, at least. You know, 65 million people in mortal distress. And I still hear people say, keep them out. Don't let them, don't let them share any of our stuff. Right? We still need employment laws that would, would ensure that employers um, uh, pay what's due to their, to their employees. When I was a young adult, I had a little advertising agency um, that I ran. I was a jingle writer, and, and um, I, I, we did some work for one of the largest developers in Toronto, a project that we did um, for them. I uh, had received a down payment for what was there, and then went to collect once the project was done. It was done well. It was all done according to... And I was told, uh, you've been paid in full. Effectively, it was get lost, kid. You've been paid in full. Uh, it, it wasn't a lot of money. For me at that time, it was a lot of money. Um, what's your story? In, in what ways has, 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 has justice been denied uh, in your situation? In what ways has someone robbed you? I mean, uh, there are a few courageous women who started to expose how commonplace, how extensive sexual harassment and abuse is in our world, how, how it's almost systemic in some, in some industries, and through the Me Too campaign have offered, have offered women an opportunity to call for justice, to call for justice. Here's where it gets particularly tough, though. Jesus, in speaking about this, um, He'd been on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee um, in, in a little, I've been there, the little natural amphitheater um, where he could speak and be clearly heard. And he was t teaching his disciples, but then a crowd quickly accumulated and gathered. And, and the beginning of his teaching was really quite pleasant to hear. You know, blessed are the, you know, the poor, blessed are those who suffer, blessed the, the Beatitudes. But, but then it quickly moves into what becomes commentary on, at least in part, the Ten Commandments. Uh, he, he says in cha Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, that's where it's recorded for us, Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then in this very famous teaching, Jesus then continues on and he demonstrates how each one of us have actually, we actually live in violation of the Ten Commandments. We're commandment breakers. Um, and, and as much as all of us, to some degree, are victims, all of us are perpetrators too. And, and it doesn't excuse it doesn't excuse the need for justice over here. Don't misread what I'm saying here. Uh, but right after this statement that Jesus has recorded uh, about the Ten Commandments, uh, he um, 
he launches into the, the, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. Series of statements. Series of statements that he makes there. Um, and, and the 10 get addressed on more than one uh, occasion. So verse 21, you have heard it said uh, to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, but I say unto you, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. We've talked about this already. Uh, we're all murderers. Uh, ever been angry with someone? Okay. Um, just a few verses later, verse 27, he says, You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, but I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart. You can flip the genders, same deal. Um, we're guilty of adultery. Whatever your story is, and we've been talking about your story and the things that happen in our lives, this is your story too. This is my story too. Um, we, we are victims and we are perpetrators. Um, and people are more important than possessions, but there's this huge problem that we face as the human race because every one of us has been both abused and abuser. It's scandalous. We say, how can this be, and how are we ever supposed to survive in such a place? Uh, I, I'm a victim. I have a right to revenge. Do I not? No. Uh, no, you have a right to justice. And we need to live in a culture, and we need to lobby for a culture that insists on justice. Come on, pastor. Like I, Those things that I did back then, like surely, don't, aren't we a people who believe in grace and mercy and forgiveness? Yes, absolutely. The gospel is, is fundamental on this point. Grace and mercy. When you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And we remember. And remember, because here's the relationship between grace and forgiveness. The more you understand grace the more vile that sin that was in your past becomes. <sighs> the more heinous it is. The, the more you understand the cost uh, of your forgiveness, we're entering into a week where we're going to be, it's going to be upfront and personal. The more you understand the cost of your forgiveness, the, the more you'll say, I, just, I can't ever go there again. Don't ever want to have that a part of my life again. When I see it around me, I want to, I, I want to do everything I can to, to, to remediate that. To see it, it torn down, to not participate in it, but to not, not allow others, to encourage others to not participate in it as well. Because the, the inverse is true as well. If you think sin is no big deal, you will think grace is no big deal. God forgives. That's just what God does. He, he, that's, that's his job. No. No, that was his mercy. That was his mercy. He who has been forgiven little loves little. Um, he who's been forgiven much loves much. Uh, you show me someone who is a passionate, intent worshiper of the Most High God, and I show you someone uh, who, who understands grace. They understand what they've been forgiven, and they come in passionate pursuit of the one who has made it possible. So let's... Let's not be afraid to linger on the subject of the sin that is around us, the brokenness that's present in our world. Let's at least stay under the water long enough that when we come up out, we, go, <sighs> we breathe in forgiveness with gratitude and we begin to live in a posture of, of worship. 
If you hear me on this, if you've believed in Jesus and turned to the Lord, you have been forgiven. That's gone. You are forgiven. It's gone. The Apostle Paul says that Jesus became sin, uh, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And if you've become a follower of Jesus, uh, if you've confessed, you, 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 it's gone. It, it's, it's given. You've been forgiven. Now that's part of the reason we've got to talk about it, because for many, the past continues to haunt. It continues to linger. It continues, oh, if I only wish I hadn't. Sometimes there are consequences we live with. But I'm talking about shame. I'm shocking, talking about, about guilt. I'm talking about living under condemnation. Oh, I'm such a wretch. Amazing Grace says so. Oh, I'm such a wretch. How could I? Now, now I, 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 I did want a little humor there, and I apologize. I don't mean to offend you if this is where you're living. Here's what I want you to hear. You don't need to live here. You don't need to live here. Jesus, Jesus has come. He became sin. He came and he said, look, give it to me. Give it to me, and here's what I got for you. I've got righteousness. Give it to me. Give me, give me that too. Oh, I don't hang on to that. Give me that too. Isn't that easier to walk now? Isn't that lighter? It's like, whoa. You don't have to carry this. I don't have guilt. I don't have shame. I don't want to walk under that. Jesus wants me to walk in forgiveness. He wants me to walk in the truth. He wants to walk to light in the lightness of being able to worship him. Jesus comes to us to hear our story. What are the offenses? What are the things that have been done against you? Where is it that you've screwed up and, and you've... But he invites you to give your story to him. And he wants to give you his story. Here's your story now. Here's your pedigree now. Here's the, the record. Just as if you never sinned. Just as if you'd always obeyed this is your story now. You get to live in this. This weekend, of course, we've been talking about it, marks the traditional church calendar, the Palm Sunday, uh, when, when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And, and it, it's pretty much the only time when he was recognized for who he really was. He was the king making his triumphal entry. Hosanna, it was an expression of praise. It was an expression of praise. It was also simultaneously an expression, a cry for help. Save us, O one who is able to save us. Uh, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in highest heaven. And they worshipped him and acknowledged him. And then five days later, he would be robbed on your behalf. He would lay his life down. He would give it and it would be gladly taken. And so, so he would be robbed of dignity. He would be robbed of honor. He would be robbed of the very crown that, that was supposed to speak of his greatness and would be mocked with a crown of thorns. Save us. Save us from our sin. Save us from the sin of others. Them living in a Roman culture where, where, where they were regularly pillaged and abused and, and, and taken. Their wealth was taken. Their freedom was taken. Save us from the oppression of the religious system that had, had been built up around. It was a godless system. And Jesus criticized it on a regular basis that, that the scribes and Pharisees made them twice the sons of hell that they already were themselves. Save us from all of this. And save us from the just sentence against our guilt. 
And Jesus comes and says, yes, yes, that's why I've come. We got this public glimpse of his glory on the Mount of Olives as he came in humility on a donkey, not in, in the prideful arrogance of a white steed. And on that Good Friday, every one of the Ten Commandments would be violated against him as he would take on himself that which he did not deserve. Every one of his rights would be violated. They would deny him justice. They would deny him dignity. They would make him a curse by hanging him on a tree. And the king of righteousness would become the king of sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. This coming week as we prepare to worship, as we anticipate coming next Sunday and celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Be reminded of what you have been saved from so that you can worship and praise with great joy, exceeding joy and gratitude for all that he's done for you. Will you trade your story? Are you ready to let go of the pieces that have defined you in order to entrust them to him that he would now define you. Let me invite you to stand with me. We're going to bow in prayer. Friends, Jesus Christ wants to tell you your story. As we bow together, he invites you to see your life as retold by him through the one who has always been in love with you, always has loved you. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and just shine the light of your truth into our lives and into our stories. Lord Jesus, would you show us what you want each one of us to see here in this moment together this morning. What have you stolen? Let me start with this. What's been stolen from you? Has honor been stolen from you? Has dignity been taken from you? Has justice been denied you? The pain of those violations. Would would you give that to him? Maybe just hold your hands out physically in front of you. If, if, If something comes to mind and you say, I'm giving this to you. Maybe it's the hundredth time you've given it to him, but we're giving it to him again giving this to you, Lord Jesus. I'm no longer holding on to this offense, this violation. Let you help justice be served if that's what the violation is. Justice is, is good, it's necessary, but I'm not looking to affect that. I'm going to live it, put it in your hands and your care and your keeping. I'm looking to give the offense, that which has wounded my heart, to you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, as you would continue to illuminate, where where have you been the the stealer? Where is it that you would say, I I have stolen? I've, in my criticism, I I robbed someone of dignity, of honor, my attitude, my, my stinginess. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Help me to begin to think about my possessions, people, 
biblically, generously. Lord Jesus, you were robbed, you were abused, but you have abused no one. You have only poured out generously to each one of us. We come in confession, acknowledging the brokenness of our lives. And in turning to you, we come in repentance, saying, help us to walk in your way, O God. You are faithful, you are just, you forgive our sins, you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lord Jesus, would you visit your children here this morning with a genuine sense of having been forgiven much? As we worship you in response, lead us into the joy of your salvation. We ask in your name, Lord Jesus, continue to lead us, Spirit of the living God, we ask. Amen.